Thank you, Anthony Cobbler, for that powerful prayer. I just feel stirred up already. Uh, welcome, everyone. Good afternoon, New Philly Seaside. Hey, come on. Where's my good afternoon? Good afternoon, New Philly Seaside. So today, uh, Pastor John Newfeld from our Hillside campus was supposed to come and preach today. But things got changed around. Okay, and so I'll be giving the word today. It's my honor and privilege to uh, bring you the word of God. Uh, let's just take some time to pray. Can we bow our heads? Uh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, uh, that God, this is a timely word that you have for your people today. And so, God, I just pray right now for the heart of every person here. I just command an awakening and alertness uh, by your Holy Spirit. God, we depend on you, Holy Spirit, for a, a now word, a rhema word, that, God, your anointing breaks every yoke uh, here. So, God, we just submit our minds to you, our hearts to you, God. And, God, we just trust that you will move today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, before I start my sermon today, I wanted to take the time uh, to thank uh, each person here at New Philly Seaside that's been sharing your testimony here. And so each month, uh, usually the first Sunday of each month, uh, either a brother or sister will share their life testimony here. And so I want to give a, a special shout out to Tao, Br- <laughs> uh, our sister Brisa, Julie Shrek, and Rosie. Okay, uh, I want to commend you guys for really uh, sharing your vulnerability with us. It uh, really takes some courage uh, to be able to open up about your past and different things that you've gone through. And so I want to thank you guys personally. Um, as a campus pastor, I'm so blessed uh, to see how God's moving in your lives. And, you know, you know, I during the week, I'll go back. I'll, I'll go back to the Facebook page, and I'll listen again, and I'll listen to your testimonies all over again. Kind of a little bit stalkerish, but I like it. Okay? I'll listen to it, and I'm, I feel so proud, and I feel so thankful uh, to be a pastor here that where, where God is moving powerfully in your lives. And so I just wanted to give you guys a special shout-out. Uh, last week, our sister Tao gave a really powerful testimony. And so if you guys were not here, I want to encourage you guys. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page. Okay? It's easy. Facebook.com slash New Philly. Okay, you can listen to it. Uh, you know, as she was sharing last week, there was such an intimacy, uh, this, like, vulnerability, like, this connectedness with everybody here. I heard people crying all, all, all throughout. I had to fight back my tears. But, man, it really moved me. And so I want to encourage you guys, if you did not hear it, uh, please go listen. Uh, it's last week. And, you know, uh, New Philly, our church, we love to share testimonies. And this is really because we know that the truth is, is that it's not my testimony, but it's God's testimony that he shared, that he's given to us. And so we, we want to we proclaim things. We want to share. Uh, share about the different breakthroughs that God's given to us, you know, how God's met us. And so uh, whatever things that we've been healed of, wrong mindsets and bondages that have been broken off, as we speak that forth, now it can become your breakthrough. Uh, it says in Revelations 19.10, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so I want to encourage you guys, uh, just whenever you get breakthroughs, you know, God's giving breakthroughs all the time, amen? amen. 
like every week, every day, God begins to just pour out love, show, show his love to you, show his faithfulness to you. And so I really want to encourage you guys, share your testimonies with one another. Okay, be, uh, be adamant about this, okay? Uh, seek people out to share. You never know if that's the very breakthrough that they need in their lives. Uh, pray for divine appointments and really start to share your testimonies. Uh, here, so we have uh, two sowing seasons here at New Philly. And basically what that is is just chunks of months uh, where small groups meet weekly. And so a couple years back, uh, the leadership pastors, they started to encourage all small group leaders to share your testimony. Uh, so that when you share your testimony with your small group members, kind of makes a safe space. Sees that, wow, hey, my leader had issues too. And uh, God healed them. God worked through them powerfully. And so we started to encourage uh, people to do that. And so about three years ago, for me, it was the start of a new sewing season. And with my small group, I started to pray. And I started to ask God. Uh, there's so many different things I could share, right? And so I asked God, Lord, uh, what is it? In what fashion? In what way? Shall I share my testimony with my small group today? And the, uh, the verse that he gave me uh, was Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Okay, I think up until that point, uh, before that three-year mark, before God spoke that verse to me, whenever I shared my testimony, it was always like this. Okay, so here I was, all crazy and doing all these things, going out partying, clubbing. Okay, this is what I used to do, and here is me now. And here's how Jesus set me free. Okay, but about that three-year point, God started to take me deeper. He started to show me uh, different things in my heart. Uh, he started to show me the different hurts, uh, the false mindsets, and kind of a skewed view of how I had seen God. Uh, because I had not guarded my heart properly, the things that flowed out were sin. And the things that flowed out were destruction. And I started to... Uh, Oh, hold on. Okay. And so uh, just to share quickly, uh, you know, uh, in my senior year in high school, I started to get into very heavy drugs. Okay. I know I look like very nice, you know. And so I'm, you know, very like, I've got this baby face and stuff. But for, you know, senior year in high school, I started getting into, into fairly heavy drugs. And I started to get fairly addicted. And so before that point, I had always thought, you know, I like to have fun and I'm kind of a curious girl. And, you know, there are peer pressures around me. And so that's probably why I, I got into all these drugs. But it was this time that God started to show me, no, it was not because you were curious. And it was not because you succumbed to peer pressure. But it was because you did not guard your heart. And so the only way that I knew how to deal with this walls and, and you know, massive amounts of hurt Instead of properly dealing with that hurt and guarding my heart, I turned to this way of escape. And so it wasn't this random act. It wasn't this, you know, different things that I shared about. But he started to show me that really it was because I had not guarded my heart. And so today, the title of your message is, can you guess? Guard your heart. Very good. We're smart people here, okay? The title of the message is, is guard your heart. Okay, so if you can open up your Bibles with me, uh, we're going to look at today's passage. It's Proverbs chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 20 to 23. 
Okay, so here uh, we use the ESV Bible. And so if you have it, it's ready. I want to invite you guys to speak the word of God with me. Are you guys ready? Okay, let's go. My son, oh, everyone, come join me, all right? Speak it out. Ready? Ready, go? My son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for it flows the springs of life. Amen. So if you have the ESV, the title of chapter 4 is called A Father's Wise Instruction. Okay, and so all throughout this chapter, King Solomon is giving his son, okay, wise instruction. Okay, these are all commandments that give him life. And all throughout the chapter, he's constantly repeating himself, telling his son, be attentive to my words. Do not let them escape from your heart. Basically, he's telling his son, embrace these words, write them on the tablets of your heart, and make these words your words, and make it a part of who you are. And so, uh, if you look at our passage, it can be pretty much it can be broken down into two sections. Okay, uh, the first where King Solomon is telling his son how important his commands are, and then the second part is the actual command. Okay, so you know, as I was preparing the sermon, I read chapter four a lot, like many, many, many times, and I noticed, man. This guy is repeating himself a lot, okay? So in 27 verses of chapter 4, 40% of it, I counted, okay, are him actually repeating himself to his son, listen to my words. Keep attentive to my words. And I thought, wow, he really likes to repeat himself. You know, I grew up with a mom that nagged me a lot, you know? (laughs) Clean your room. Two, two, two hours later, did you clean your room? I told you to clean your room. Did you study? Did you, how'd you do on your test? It's because you didn't study, okay? So when I read this, the thought had crossed my mind. Is King Solomon nagging his son? Is he doing what, uh, you know, Korean mothers love to do and repeat themselves many, many times? The thought had crossed my mind. Is, is King Solomon a nagger? Okay? But the more I read this chapter, I saw that King Solomon was repeating himself because he knew the truth that deep down, these commands were life. They were spirit and life, wise instructions into his son. Okay, so let's go back to uh, verse 22. He says here, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. So he knew that, you know what, no matter what you go through, son, if all you can do is remember my words in your time of trouble, it will be healing to your flesh. It will give life to you. And so he repeats himself knowing that his words have great power and great authority, that his words will have that power to start to shift his son out of foolishness, shift his son out of wrong thinking. He knows that ultimately his commands will bring life and life abundant. So he urges his son, son, keep my words, obey my words, 
Keep them in your heart because they are life and healing to your flesh. So in our passage today, the first three verses are here again. The father urging his son to listen and obey. And the last verse, Proverbs 4.23, I'll read it again. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the spring of life. Now, when I read this, the, the word that God kind of highlighted was your. Keep your heart. Watch your heart. Keep your heart. So basically, he's telling his son, hey, your heart is your responsibility. That, yes, that your heart is your responsibility. Okay, and like many of you here today, I'm an English teacher during the week. Okay, and almost every week, I have students who fight, who yell at each other, who hate each other. And I have to bring order into that classroom. Gotta, you know, bring order there. And so I'll bring them up to the classroom. And so last week I had a girl and a boy fighting, okay, named Jack and Tara. And so I said, listen, hey, Jack, why did you hit Tara? And almost every time the answer is similar. Oh, teacher, she made fun of me. <laughs> or he made me angry. Or he hit me first, okay? You know, when I see this, I'm like, ah, I get this. I'm like, oh, calm down, patience, okay? But some might say, you know what, kids will be kids. And in this instance, you got to just let them go, okay? But in every instance of fighting, as their teacher, I try my best to instill responsibility in these children. And so I always tell them, hey, what's this rule right here? What's rule number three? And then they say, do not hit students and do not fight. I'm like, okay, Jack, what did you do today? And he says, I hit Tara. <laughs> and so I say, Jack, you need to take responsibility for your own actions. Now, I realize these words were very big, but they didn't understand what I was saying. And so I, you know, we're not allowed to speak Korean in class, but I'll put it in there. I said, you know what? You need chegim. Okay, checking is responsibility. Check him for hitting Tara. And then they understand. And so I'm, I'm really trying my best to instill this in them, to show them that, hey, your actions carry consequences. And that indeed, your actions, you take responsibility instead of blaming others for what they've done. Now, why is it that today adults do the very same thing as these students do? When faced with the question, hey, hey, Tom, why did you gossip about your coworker? The answer is, hey, they deserve it. Or do you know what they did to me? You know the kind of stuff they've been saying about me? Instead of taking responsibility, people blame others. And people begin to play the blame game. Okay, here in today's passage, King Solomon, the father, is urging his son to do the same thing. He's saying, hey, Keep your heart with all vigilance. He's saying, hey, it's your heart. Take responsibility for it. Now, when someone gives you a responsibility, it's always something that's within your control and means. Okay, I shared this at Sunday Swim, but if I had a seven-year-old student, I'm not going to say to the student, hey, I need this computer program done in JavaScript language by 5 p.m. today, okay? Because obviously this kid, he cannot do it, right? right? But in this instance, King Solomon is telling his son, hey, 
It's your responsibility because you have the power and you are empowered to do this. And so when God gives us a command, it's never just an empty command. It's always, there's always an empowering involved. There's always grace to be able to release, to be able to do the things that he's commanded us. Okay, in the ESV, it says, keep your heart with all vigilance. And dictionary.com says vigilance is one, keenful watching, watchful, keenfully watching, sorry, <laughs> to detect danger. And two is ever awake and alert. And so here, uh, King Solomon is, is telling his son, hey, it's your heart. Be very sensitive to the things that go in it. Be very sensitive to de- detect dangerous toxins and be ever awake and alert. Uh, in the NASB, uh, Proverbs 4.23 is, says, watch over your heart. Okay, here, watch in the Hebrew is N-A-T-S-A-R. I'm not going to try to pronounce that, okay? Uh, this word, it means to guard, watch over, keep, preserve, and guard from danger. And so he's instructing his son, dangerous things you must keep guard. Watch everything that's going into your heart because from it flows the springs of life. Uh, Matthew 15, 18 through 19 says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Okay, this verse is basically telling, hey, if you don't guard your heart, these are the things that will come out. Because if dangerous toxins, evil things come in, then henceforth evil things will go out. Okay, so I'm going to talk about today, what are three things to guard your heart against? Okay, uh, there's so many things that we could uh, talk about, but I'm just going to talk about three. Okay, so the first thing to guard your heart against is offense. Uh, Jesus said in Luke 17, 1, it is impossible that no offenses should come. Okay, here he's basically saying, hey, as a believer, as a Christian, you will encounter offense. Okay, it's not a question of is it going to happen, but what is your response going to be? Are you going to guard your heart against offense? Uh, Freedom from offense is essential. It's so needed for every Christian because here in uh, Luke 17, 1, Jesus is saying it's impossible to live this life and not have the opportunity to, to be offended. So as Christians, we must learn how to guard our hearts against offense and what to do with offense once it actually has entered your heart, okay? So I wanted to show you this book, okay? It's called The Bait of Satan. It's a pretty intense title, right? Okay, if you look here, if there's more, more than 500,000 copies sold. Okay, it's by one of my favorite Christian authors and speakers, John Bevere. Okay, this is like a must-read for every Christian. You know, uh, Pastor John Newfeld and I would talk about John Bevere a lot. Because uh, when we went to the Hillsong Conference in 2007, John Bevere was a speaker there. So ever since I went there, I just got hooked on his books, his teachings, filled with a lot of wisdom but we talked about this book a lot because we're like man every christian needs to read this book and so 
the okay the bait of satan please buy it if you haven't had a chance to read it okay but christian author and teacher john bevere says it like this one of satan's most deceptive and insidious kinds of bait is something every christian has encountered offense actually offense itself is not deadly if it stays in the trap but if we pick it up and consume it and feed on it our hearts, then we will we have become offended. Okay, Satan's bait for the Christian is offense. Now, are you guarding your heart to this toxin? Are you letting Satan have his way with you? Many people are unable to function properly in God's purpose and calling for their lives because of the wounds, the hurts, and offenses in their lives. They are handicapped and hindered from fulfilling their potential. Offended people hurt and their understanding is darkened. Okay, so if you're offended, there's this like dark lens that comes over you. That whatever you look at in the natural, everything's skewed. Uh, your, Your perception is completely off. People who are offended, they begin to judge others by assumption, or perhaps appearance and hearsay. Now, what are the signs that you are offended? Okay, now some of you might be thinking, hey, that's easy. I get angry. I throw these hissy fits. Okay, but the reason I'm telling you this is because I was one of those people who had always buried hurts. Oh, this didn't happen to me. You know, push it in the back of my head. So a lot of the time I didn't realize that I was offended. So I'm going to go over some things. How do you know you're offended? You know, a while ago, I used to have this really bad habit of rolling my eyes. <laughs> so people would say something to me to frustrate me and annoy me. And the automatic response is like, oh, I'll, I'll just roll my eyes. And then they'll be like, hey, why'd you just roll your eyes at me? And I'd be like, I didn't roll my eyes at you because I honestly didn't know that that was what was happening. And then when I kind of took the time to take a second and think about it, I was like, oh, my gosh, I did roll my eyes. I'm sorry. That wasn't nice. Okay. But it kind of pointed to something. I was like, oh, I guess I'm offended. Yeah, I should deal with this offense. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 in the NIV says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Okay. So here are sure signs that you have been offended. Ready? You feel hurt. Anger. You have outrage. Jealousy. Resentment, there's strife. (laughs) Bitterness, hatred, and envy. I'll say it again, ready? Hurt, anger, outrage, jealousy, resentment, strife, bitterness, hatred, and envy are sure signs that you have been offended. Now, so many times people try to deal with this. They try to deal with the feeling. So let's say you have anger problems. Then they try to, hey, I'm going to manage my anger. So when I get anger, I'm going to go, oh, one, two, three, three, two, one. What's bothering me? Or they make these different kinds of anger management controls to try to keep themselves cool to use these methods to calm themselves down, yeah, I'd commend that to a certain extent because I think in the short run, that's okay. 
But in the long run, you need to deal with the root of the problem. Oftentimes when people are angry, there's a root of offense there. Offended Christians have been enforcers of Satan's will and not God's will. Uh, Some of the consequences of picking up offense are division, separation, broken relationships, betrayal, and backsliding. And so, you know, growing up in the Korean church, I was part of many church splits. Okay, it was tough because I was, you know, I was in middle school and these were my closest friends that I had grown up with. And then all of a sudden, the parents are fighting. They're going this way. They're going that way. Because these Christians were offended, they themselves, instead of acting in God's will, they became an enforcer of Satan's will. Titus 3.10 says, As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice more have nothing to do with him. Division, bitterness, these are serious sins against the Lord. And when left unchecked, offense turns into these things. And now not only are you sinning against yourself, you're sinning against the Lord. And this brings devastating consequences to people. Now, if you look even in America or you look in Korea, the divorce rate is 50%. Okay? Why is the divorce rate so high? And I really believe it's because people do not know how to deal with offense properly. So it, it stirs. It starts to brew. People do not guard their heart against it and outflows division, outflows separation. Your response to offense is going to determine your future. Now, isn't it interesting? You can take two of the very same people. You can take, let's say, a group of siblings, okay, who go through something together. Let's say something horrific happens to their parents, and their parents pass away, or something, you know, very bad happens. Now, this is a a perfect example of how two different people can respond to the situation differently. Okay, maybe one sister responds with bitterness. God, why did you do this to me? How could you not be there for me? And then they live in this bondage, in this prison of unforgiveness all their life, where it starts to dictate all the relationships, therefore, they lack trust. It's just, it's downhill from there. And then you see another sister who chooses not to be offended. They give their offense over to God. Now, it's not saying, hey, if bad things happen to you, deal with it. It's not this. It's deal with it properly. You know, grieve where you need to grieve. Go to the Lord. Have that time. But then the other sister can choose in the end not to be offended. Live a life of joy. Live a life of peace. And live a life where she's not in the prison of unforgiveness. Basically, God is telling us, again, in Luke 17, 1, hey, there's going to be a lot of offensive stuff that happens to you, but what are you going to do, and how are you going to respond? Now, I'm going to go over some practical ways to guard yourself against offense, okay? Because now we know the command is to guard your heart, We know that offense will be here. Now, 
how can we guard ourselves to this, okay? First, this seems really elementary, but it's needed, okay? First, let go of the offense, okay? Now, being married, this is something I practice every day. Is <laughs> letting go of offense. And I remember when I was like, where is my husband, God? And, and I talked to married people, and they'd be like, you know, marriage is for you, but it's really the work of the cross because it brings sanctification to you. And one of uh, Pastor Christian's uh, mentors, Brother Michael, he was like, Mina, marriage is like putting a mirror to your face and seeing how sinful you are. And I was like, all right, looking forward to marriage. But this is something that Caleb and I practice uh, every day. Because we, more me, because I'm guarding my heart to offense, but it's let go of the offense. And so, you know, this morning, Caleb and I fought before service about something. It wasn't that big of a deal. And I just got angry. And I just started, I was like, I don't want to talk to you. I, don't, I just don't, don't talk to me. And then he started following me around the house. He's like, honey, forgive me. I'm so sorry. I'm like, I don't want to talk to you. And then I'm like, hey, what do you want forgiveness for? So he starts to explain. And then I was like, no, no, I'm not, no. And so I go into my room. You know, I think it's okay sometimes to have some time to cool off. Because, you know, the way I am is I need a little bit of space. And I'm okay. Caleb is a type that he wants to... Make it better right away, okay? So either way, it's okay, but either way, we need to deal with the fence. And so I hear a knock on my door, and he opens the door. He says, honey, and he saw this book lying on the table, (laughs) and he was like, honey, don't fall into the bait of Satan. (laughs) And my response was, ah! So I was like... Okay, because I'm preaching on offense today, I must live this out practically. So I let go of the offense. I said out loud once Caleb left, I said, God, I'm not sure why I'm offended. I'm not sure why his comment bothered me. But Lord, I let go of the offense. I release all anger and all frustration and I let it go. Okay, so this is one practical way. Now, we actually, I know this sounds really corny, but me and Caleb, we actually do this often. So if I do something wrong, I go up to him and I said, honey, forgive me. I was wrong. And then he will say, I forgive you for saying those words to me in a mean way. <laughs> and, then, and then I say, thank you for your forgiveness. And then I said, honey, you need to release your frustration. So he says, I release my frustration and anger. And then the third step was like, okay, now bless me. And so then he puts his hand on my head and he's like, I bless my wife. This is something we, we do constantly. Sometimes I like to joke around and then I pray and I bless him. I'm like, Lord, I bless my husband. I pray that you will fill him with more wisdom because he needs it. And then I let more of the frustration go. I realize, oh, I'm still frustrated. Wait, let's go back to step two. I release the frustration. Okay, okay, now I can bless you. Uh, Caleb, I bless you, okay? So this is one practical way to guard yourself against offense. 
Okay, second is have a thankful heart. And I'm going to use the uh, example of marriage again because, again, this is something that I do quite often. Okay, so sometimes if my husband, well-meaning, might say something a little bit insensitive, and I get hurt or angry, and I, mm, I turn my back in the bed, and he's like, "Honey, uh, don't talk to me, don't talk to me." Uh, okay, do not let the anger go down. When the when the sun goes down, do not let your let your anger go down. And I complain. I'm like, "God, this is he. Why is he doing like this?" And and it's not fair. And he doesn't understand me. And then I always hear this verse in my head, like, "Do not let the anger go down on your son." <laughs> I'm sorry. Do not let your anger, when sun go down on your anger. Thank you, thank you. Okay, and then I start to I start to uh, intentionally remember all the ways I'm thankful. Now, in uh, marriage counseling, Pastor Benjamin, he told us that in marriage, in order to feel like you're having a good marriage, that for every bad thing that a spouse does. You know, not bad, but things that you're displeased with. You have to have five things to be thankful for. Okay, he said not four, but five. Because if you have four, then you still feel like your marriage is like what a little bit rocky. But he said five, and so I'll remember this, and I start well. God, I'm thankful that Caleb he he prays for me, he protects me, and I go through the five, and then I'm like, okay, and I let it go. Other times when I'm really angry, I can only think of two. <laughs> and then I say, Holy Spirit, please remind me of things. And then I think of five. Okay. And so after that, usually my heart wells up and I'm like, oh, I'm just being silly. I'm just being a baby about this stuff. And so this is a practical way. Okay. Stay thankful to different things, especially with the person that's offended you. Try this step, even if you're not married, okay? Five things to be thankful for for that person, and you will guard yourself to offense. Second, the next thing to guard your heart against is pride. Proverbs 8.13 says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance. So God, he hates pride. And so because of this, we need to definitely guard our hearts against it. Now, Lucifer, Satan, okay, he used to be an angel, but because of his pride, he fell. Pride is when uh, you want to be God. Hey, man, I'm the controller of my life. It's my life. I'll do whatever I want. Uh, Pastor JM from Itaewon, he preached an awesome message called Stop Listening to Your Heart, April 14th at the Itaewon campus. Okay, here he goes into great detail about Satanists and what they believe. I was shocked. A big chunk of the, the, the sermon was about Satanists. And then I was like, oh, I don't want to be like the Satanists. Okay, their, their motto is do what thy will. Okay, so it's interesting because in the sermon, Pastor James is like, what did you think that it would be like murder and do these kind of evil things? But no, it's very simple. The Satanist motto is do what you want. You're your own master. Okay, you decide what to do and you do it whatever you want. Okay, what you feel like you do, 
the very nature and ideal of the Satanists is one of pride. Where they are the center, the center of their universe, they decide, hey, this is right, this is wrong. They're their own God. Now, a prideful person does not consider what God sees as truth. It's what their understanding of things are. Now, if you look at Christians today, so many Christians have this liberal mindset of what's right and wrong. And so I was like looking up different things, and I, I looked on one of John Bevere's sites, and in, in one of his sermons, he talks about, I, you know, I don't know where this percentage came from, but he gave it, so I'll give it. He said around 40 to 50% of Christians don't believe the Bible is absolute truth. That they kind of come up with this like relativity. What's that like? Oh, everything is relative, like this kind of thing. Uh, these kind of people, they want to listen to preachers who say things that tickle their ear because it becomes convenient for them. And instead of seeing God's truth as absolute truth, they decide what is truth. In the essence, it's pride. Uh, Psalm 10.4 says, In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. When you're living life that, like there is no God, you're in the sin of pride. God hates pride. Another verse, Proverbs 16.5 says, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Satan's fall was due to pride. And so as Christians, we need to guard our hearts against pride. We need to be keenly sensitive, awake and alert to the schemes of the enemy. Now, what are some ways that you know that you are in pride? Proverbs 13.10 says, where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. People with the unteachable and hardened heart, definitely pride has seeped in. You ever try to like confront someone lovingly? That, hey, this is something that you did. And they're all defensive and like, no, I didn't do that. That's not why I did that, okay? When there's strife, there is pride. Uh, pride, it will keep you from admitting your true condition. Pride causes you to view yourself as the victim. Hey, because I was treated unjustly, it gives you the right to hold back forgiveness. Pride causes you to see yourself as the victim. Now, being mistreated is not good. And God is one that vindicates you. But being mistreated, it does not give you permission to hold on to offense. It doesn't commission, uh, per, give you permission to hold on to this kind of pride and not see what's going on in your heart. Two wrongs do not make a right. Uh, now, uh, some practical ways to guide against pride, guard yourself against pride. Uh, Deuteronomy 8.14 says, Then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So this is one way you can guard yourself against pride, is remember the testimonies of God. When you start remembering the testimonies of what God has done in your life, man, there's this bubbling up of thanksgiving. You start to remember, man, God's been faithful. 
He's always had my back. He's always been looking out for you. Okay, a perfect example in the Bible of people who did not guard themselves against pride are the Israelites. Okay, you notice time and time again in the book of Joshua, in the book of Deuteronomy, in these books, God is constantly reminding them, do you not remember that I am the God that brought you out of Egypt and out of slavery? Again, he's like repeating himself over and over, but this is because they kept forgetting. They kept forgetting what God had done. And so they fell into the sin of pride. A second practical way to guard against pride is choose humility. Now, a lot of people have a kind of a wrong idea of humility. So sometimes if you say, oh, hey, you should be humble. And they're like, oh, well, no, I'm not good at that, Pastor Mina. I'm not really as great as they say I am. Okay, but this is really a false humility. Uh, one of the best definitions that I've heard is from, again, John Bevere, and he says it like this. True humility is absolute obedience and dependence on God. Okay, so one way that you can fight against pride is absolute obedience, depend on God. You can guard your heart by doing these things. This is going to go against a self-centered faith, a self-centered life. As you continue to depend on God, give him your absolute obedience, you're telling God, hey, I choose you and I want to depend on you. I feel like, you know, ever since three years back, that this is something that God has kind of like burned in my heart. This watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows a spring of life. And because, like I said, I wasn't very used to being offended, after this time I realized, man, if I'm starting to get passive aggressive, or I'm starting to get short with people, I'm like, ah, I need to keep my heart with all vigilance because it is the wellspring of life. Now, something I do want to share is that this kind of guard your heart, and I've been kind of pounding it in, like you got to guard your heart against offense. you got to guard your heart against pride. Okay, this does not mean that when something unjust happens to you that you just kind of forget about it. Okay, this is not the kind of God that we serve, okay? If something unjust happens to you, if there's things in your childhood that has happened, it's not for you to just sweep it under the rug and be like, hey, you know, bad things happen to people. I'll just get over it, okay? This, the, I really believe that the heart of this guard your heart is basically what you're telling God is, hey, God, here's all my pain. Here's all my hurt. Here's all my anger. Now I submit it to you. I give you full control. I give you full access. I do it in your timing and not my timing. I give you control. Okay, and I want to just close with the testimony. And I kind of, you know, was thinking about different things. Again, I shared that there's a lot of testimonies that I could share about. Um, but this one, the reason I want to share it is because God took me on a many-layer journey. And it was one that was over several years. Okay, so I have to say, was 2013? It was like a six-year period that God started to take me on this journey. And when I was praying about it and thinking about it, I was like, man, like, 
At the time, I had tried to fast forward the process, but I realized that God in his perfect timing, he'll only release a revelation of what you can handle at that time. And so I do believe that, you know, when you're a child and these kind of traumatic things happen to you, I think that kind of building up the wall and that guarding, I think it's kind of God's way of kind of protecting you at the time. But once you become an adult, once you start to really submit to the Lordship of Christ, he starts to bring those things back up again because he knows that you can handle it. And so I think it was sometime in college, a couple years into college, I got really wasted, okay, really drunk at a party. And uh, a friend of a friend, I was raped, okay? And so once I come back to the Lord, I think it was like 2006 sometime, 2007, I kept having these flashbacks. Like I would just be in church and I would be in service and I would get this flashback of a memory. And at first I was like, man, this is the devil. He's trying to distract me in my time of worship. Okay, but when I had consulted in my spiritual leaders and I shared with them, hey, so it's been happening for the past month or two. I keep getting flashbacks of this memory. And I kept praying against it, but, you know, what do you think I should do? And they're like, hey, I think you should talk about it. And I think you should receive counsel and prayer. And so Pastor Anita and Pastor Aaron at the time were my accountability partners, so I invited them over to my house. It was sometime in 2007, and so I shared with them, hey, this is exactly what I remember. This is what the day was like. Here's what happened. Here, you know, the, the dirty details of the story. And so as it says in James 5.16, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. So I kind of took that step. I submitted to my spiritual authorities that this was the right thing to do. And so they kind of led me through uh, a prayer. And so as I took the steps to forgive, I had said all these things. Hey, you know what? When this happened, I was robbed of these things. These are the consequences that happened because of the situation. But I forgive him. I forgive him for doing this to me and finish, okay? Now, interestingly enough, at the time, I didn't cry. At the time, I wasn't particularly sad. But as a step of faith, I was like, okay, obviously, I was probably affected by this. And although I don't feel any emotions, I was like, okay, I let go of the offense. I let go of any kind of unforgiveness. And I, I release this guy, okay? It was a step of faith. It was me telling God, hey, you know what? I'm going to guard my heart in case all these toxins come in, okay? So that was 2007, okay? And nothing ever came up of, uh, nothing ever came up of it again. 2011, okay, four years later, I start dating Caleb, okay? And here we had this incident where, you know, I foolishly asked Caleb, so what were some of your past girlfriends like? you know, very much thinking that I could handle it. And so he started telling me, and then, you know, me, like, I'm the type that if I don't like something and I'm kind of shocked, I just get real quiet. I don't get, like, loud. And so I just listened, and I just got quiet and in, in, inward. And then we went to my apartment, and so I was like, I should say something. And so I told him, hey, so when you were talking about that, um, everything in, in me wants to just push you away and build up these walls. But... I just wanted to let you know, I'll go home and I'll deal with it. And so he, he looked really sad. <laughs> and I was like, just pray for me. Just pray for me. So I went home 
and I started to kind of journal out, why am I upset by these things? And I started to logically write down these things. I was like, well, if Pastor John Newfeld, who loves Anita so much, if he had a past girlfriend that he loved, does that mean that he does not love Anita? <laughs> no, it does not discount that. I wrote out in my journal. I was like, okay, well then, same goes for me. Okay, so I wrote this out. Okay, months later, I was listening to one of Pastor Christian's sermons. Okay, we have a mighty inheritance, amen? So that his words, it was like a passing word. It just brought freedom. It brought this clarity and revelation. Okay, so one of the examples that he gave was like, hey, if you're in the court of law and someone manipulated you and raped you, then they would be guilty. Okay, so then all of a sudden, I just got reminded of the situation. Boom, boom, boom. Because what had happened is after the incident, the guy's friend called me and left a message on my phone. And he said, hey, Mina, this guy, he really likes you. Please give him a chance. Okay, so now looking back, I realized that this dude was trying to cover up his, cover up his steps, right? Like, oh, you know, I did this to this girl. I don't want to get in trouble, so I'm going to just tell this girl I like her, okay? So from then, it was like 2002, it planted this seed in my head that I never knew existed. And this seed, this lie was, if a guy likes you, it's not genuine. He wants something from you. And so as Caleb started giving, you know, talking about these other girls, I just I couldn't handle it. And then it was at that very moment that God in his sovereignty, he kind of showed me that revelation. And he started showing me years, 2003, 2004, 2005. Now, it wasn't just the actual incident, but he started showing me the consequences of this incident in my life. Why did I not trust these guys? Why is it when they profess their feelings for me, why is it that I never believe them? Why is it that I had these panic attacks when I came back to the Lord and I liked the first guy? You know, when I first came back to the Lord, I, I went on a long hiatus. And there was a time where I felt God was like, hey, you can like guys again. It's okay. The first guy I liked, I used to cry all the time. I don't want this guy. Oh, and I just I had all this panic, okay? So he started showing me all these consequences were because of this incident. Okay, the reason that you're having trouble accepting Caleb's love is because of this incident. And so I had to forgive. I had to release on a different level. And this time I was angry. This time I was weeping. This time I was crying. It took a while. It took a four or five years. But this time I was like, man, I forgive this guy for every anxiety attack that I had because of guys. I started listing it out. And luckily my roommate was there. So I was like, and crying and t- telling her all these things. And I, I forgive him. This was wrong. I released the offense. And then I was like, okay, good. I'm done. And I thought it was good. Okay. Now, fast forward to 2013. And I was at a Sunday, uh, a furnace, our leadership meeting. I was telling our leaders, hey, you need to listen. Uh, do not uh, forsake your inheritance because the words of Pastor Christian and Aaron, their life. Okay, so I gave this example. Hey, you know what? Back in uh, college, this guy took advantage of me and blah, blah, blah. I said this, right? Later, I was like, wait, what exactly happened? 
And so one day I was talking, do you remember that day when Pastor Caleb was like, oh, yesterday, Mina and I, we had this time of intimacy, and she just cried, and God started breaking things off. Okay, this was like a month ago, and I was like, are you going to share what just happened? Because I'm not ready, okay? But now I'm ready, okay? So at the time when I talked with Caleb, what God revealed to me, I had never actually worded it like that. So whenever I had talked about the situation, I'd always say, oh, this guy took advantage of me. Or this guy did this. But then the, the kind of the revelation hit me. I was like, oh my gosh, this was rape. And so I turned to Caleb and I was like, did you know that it was rape? He was like, I knew. And I was like, ah. And I cried. And then I went on a deeper level of forgiveness. Because then it, this thought crossed my mind. I was like, he could have went to jail. <laughs> like if I wanted to press charges, he could have went to jail. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this is it, the full dawnness of it hit me like this was really wrong and i had to go into a deeper level of forgiveness now why do i share this story because when you are taking this verse seriously when you are telling god hey god i want to guard my heart all you're doing is you're submitting everything to him it's in his perfect timing it's in his perfect will that he's going to reveal things when he wants to you know, back in 2007, when I was dealing with it, I was like, why aren't I crying? Why aren't I dealing with this stuff? And I was like, hey, I've seen other people and led them through forgiveness, and they cry all the time. I was like, why wasn't I? I was a little bit frustrated. But God, in his perfect timing, he knew when I could handle it. He knew what my heart was capable of. And all it took for me was to entrust it to him. And so let's really take this verse seriously. Let it be something that's written on your heart, that above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Okay, let's take some time to pray and have a time of response. Okay, I know that today the sermon may have been on the heavy side because biblically these are things that God, he is wanting to protect you from. These things like offense and pride. And as I was preparing the sermon, I just felt this zeal. I felt this understanding. Man, knowing that I'm almost 100% sure that people here in this room are dealing with these things. They're either dealing with offense or they're dealing with, they're dealing with wanting to be the controller of your lives. So I want to just give this time, give you a chance to be able to respond to the message. That especially when I was preaching about offense, if God started to remind you of things, perhaps he gave you a picture of somebody, perhaps he gave you a memory. He does not want you to hold on to that offense any longer. When you let go of offense, you're not saying, hey, what was done to me was was not right. When you let go of offense, what you're saying is, hey, what was done to me was wrong. There was many consequences of that sin done towards me. But it's your chance to say, hey, you know what? God's forgiven me of so much more. Jesus has forgiven me of so much more. 
So I choose today to let go of offense. Just begin to pray. Let's all just take this time to out loud pray. Release those things. There's power in the spoken word. Okay, there's power. So this is not a time to meditate. It's not a time for you to think about things. But it's a time of faith where you're releasing the offense by word, spoken out, that you're releasing that kind of authority in your words. And now you have the chance to take authority over your offense. Okay, just release it. Begin to pray. Ask God to show you. Holy Spirit, I ask that God that you will just begin to reveal uh, to the hearts of your people today, God, the different things of offense that has been stirring and brewing. sometimes many of us we ask God God I want more of your presence why is it that when I look around I see people who are crying people who are being powerfully touched by you why is it that this is not happening to me and I believe that it's not because God doesn't love you it's because it could be a wall of offense dividing you and the Lord. And many of you, you've been crying out, man, God, I want to be more intimate with you. I want to feel your presence. I want to be with you, feel you, show you. But because of the offense in your heart, he cannot meet you because of the sin there. Uh, God, I just want to pray. I pray for every person in this room, Lord, uh, every person listening by podcast. God, sometimes we need grace to be able to forgive, Lord. And so, God, I just speak forth grace. Holy Spirit, I ask for revelation. I ask for grace to be poured out today. That, God, for those who are having a difficult time forgiving, a difficult time letting go of offense, God, God, I ask, Lord, give them the grace to be able to do it today, God. That let it not be a hindrance any longer uh, to, to them and you. God, they desire you, Lord. And God, I just take authority, Lord, that every uh, spirit of offense, every spirit of unforgiveness, God, we do not allow it here. God, I pray, Lord, that God, and I just command the hearts of the people here uh, to a place of repentance, God. One of where there is right seeing, right understanding, Lord. God, begin to speak to your people today. Show them the real way of what was happening then, God. God, we just ask, Lord, that God, as people take the step and take the chance, God, to, in faith, release offense, God. I ask, God, that you will just release great healing, Lord. That your healing touch will come upon the hearts of your sons and daughters here. That, God, that just the manifest presence of love will fill their hearts today. God, we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.